0: Open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 53, our scripture reading this morning is going to be a uh, very familiar one to you, particularly uh, at this time of year, Isaiah 53, and I'm going to uh, read for us the entirety of the chapter. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Father, this morning we pause in our day with your word open in front of us, because we are desirous to hear of you. We worship you. We declare that you alone are God and there is none like you. And we praise You that You have made Yourself known to us, not just distantly, not just through creation and the things that we can see by looking at the world, but You have made Yourself known to us specifically in Your Word and savingly in Your Son. And so this morning, as we have Your Word open and as we discuss the topic of the resurrection of Christ and what that means for us, we ask that you would minister to us by your Spirit, even in this time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will come back to Isaiah 53 later in the message, but uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's really the passage we're going to be Uh, focusing on mostly this morning, and as you're turning there, you may have noticed, if you are uh, a parent, that sometimes children argue about things that it doesn't really seem like should be all that important. And as I have become an older adult, I realize adults argue about things that don't really seem all that important. And often I want to Um, stop a conversation or interrupt a a person and, and say, do we really need to argue about this? Is it really that big a deal? Because there are some things that are not worth arguing about, but there are some things. There are some things in life that we need to understand, need to advocate for, need to have a firm position on. And this topic that we're looking at today, the resurrection of Jesus, is one of those essential subjects. What do you believe about the resurrection of Christ? And by the end of this message, I want you to have a clearer picture of what actually happened on that Sunday morning that we are celebrating today. I want you to have a clearer understanding that God had told His people in the Bible centuries in advance that this would happen. And I want you to have a firm grasp on why this matters to you and is not just a topic for debate, a topic for discussion that people can have different opinions on. So if you have your Bibles open now to First Corinthians chapter 15, I remember several years ago we were <clears throat> going to participate in a particular ministry endeavor and and uh, Patty uh, then Lappin was a uh, uh, in, instructing us we were talking together about how to share the gospel and in, in in this opportunity and and she asked uh, who had the first corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 memorized and two or three kids did and i didn't and she said you don't have first corinthians 15 3 and 4 memorized you need to learn it now and here's why first corinthians 15 and i did by the way I can be obedient sometimes. First Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, and it continues on. He says, These things are of first importance, and I want to pass them on to you. I want to make sure you understand these things that are of vital importance. And if the Apostle Paul considered something to be of vital importance, I want to as well. I think it should be a good thing for us to think about, to ponder. And so he. He says, I'm passing on to you what's of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So various interesting things in there that we're going to talk about in our time this morning. But first of all, he's talking about the events of the resurrection. And this is Resurrection Sunday. This is Easter Sunday. And so what are those events? What actually happened on that morning? Well, we could go to each of the Gospels and we could piece together this event and that event, but I want to give you a brief synopsis of what happened that morning just so you can have it clear in your mind. On that Sunday morning, remember he had been crucified on that Friday, and then he was buried before the sun went down on that day. And then Sunday morning, bright and early, or dark and early as they say, um, they, the women went to finish the preparation. They went to the tomb and they were going to carry on to prepare the body for burial because they'd had to do such a hasty job to get it done before the sun went down on Friday, before the Sabbath came. And so uh, they went to the tomb that morning and they were going to prepare the body. But what happened when they got there? Well, they found that the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away And they they were kind of wondering about who would do that But the stone was rolled away The tomb was empty And while they were at the tomb They had an angelic encounter At this empty tomb Where they had laid the body of the Lord Just a couple of days prior They have this angelic encounter Where they're told, do not be alarmed You seek Jesus of Nazareth Who was crucified He has risen He is not here See the place where they laid him. Look, but go tell his disciples and Peter, and on the message continued. So they have this angelic encounter. It was enough that they show up to this place, and they're 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 in anguish and grief because of what they were expecting to see. But they they were shocked by what they actually did see. The tomb was empty, and they see uh, this. This angelic messenger there. So they obey and they run back and they they report that to the, the disciples. And you might imagine some of the disciples are doubtful. And Peter and John, they have a foot race, right? They, they're running to the tomb. They're going to see what's going on. And so there's a race between the two. And they go to the tomb to see that the women were right. The body is gone. And they peek in and they see. They see the claws and they see all those sorts of things. Uh, And after that, we begin to see appearances of Jesus, not just an empty tomb, not just a vacant space where there once was a dead body, but uh, you get to uh, see appearances of Jesus as he's talking to various of the disciples. He talks to Mary Magdalene. He talks to the other women. Remember, he talks to the two disciples traveling on the road to Emmaus. And then he meets with larger groups, right? And he is appearing uh, more and more often. And then he presented himself alive to the apostles, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So this wasn't just an empty tomb and, oh, therefore he must be alive. This was an empty tomb that had been guarded, that had been sealed, that had been protected. And there was an angelic messenger there saying, oh, it's empty because he's been raised. And then he begins to appear, face to face, to various of the disciples. So much so that by the time uh, Paul is recording this, uh, if we were to continue reading in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, he he's, he appears to over five hundred people, five hundred witnesses of the risen Christ. And this was what was so powerful in Andy's own testimony: just realizing that if you if you went to, went to court to prove a particular thing and you had 500 witnesses that agreed, you would probably have a relatively strong case. That's understatement. And so uh, he's appearing during the course of these 40 days. He's teaching them. Uh, he's, he's spending time with them. He eats with them. He, he, all of this stuff. It's a, there, there's, this, there's this connection. They touch him. He's a physical reality and these are these are the amazing events that begin happening on this resurrection Sunday. He who uh, had been dead is now alive and everybody sees it. Christian believes these things are actual history. This is not uh, our philosophy. We're not talking about some sort of spiritual, yeah, Jesus' spirit lives on in all the Christians or something vague like that. We're talking about a body that was in a tomb that was then raised to life. Jesus presented himself in all of these capacities, in all of these contexts. So this body was raised to new life and Jesus will never taste death again. That's what happened. That's what what went on at the tomb. uh, Those are the events of the resurrection. And so, just a point of contact for us before we move on. Don't be hesitant to share the resurrection with others. Sometimes I think, you know, Christians can be a little bit embarrassed about some things. Like, oh yeah, you know, Jesus being raised from the dead. You know, yeah. Let's try and move on and talk about something else. Don't be ashamed to talk about the resurrection. This is the, the focal point. This is the the core of the gospel, the events that happen at the resurrection and what they signify. That's at the very core. So don't be afraid to lead with that. That was what was so powerful in Andy's testimony, was when he was confronted with the facts of the resurrection. Now he, he, he couldn't keep the concept of Christianity or religion or God or Jesus or something out there. He realized this Jesus who was dead was raised to newness of life. He was resurrected. That means something for me. As he put it, Uh uh-oh. Now I've got God to deal with. Right? So don't don't be ashamed of the resurrection. This This is glorious. Yes, it is miraculous. It is hard to believe because it is miraculous. It is the special working of God. And it is at the very core... Of our salvation. Christians should never be embarrassed of the resurrection or any of the miracles in Scripture. We can trust the Bible. We can trust what the Bible says to us. The resurrection of Christ is a truth that the world will just have to deal with. It's not myth, it's not legend, it's historical fact. And it's right at the heart of the Christian message. So those are the events that actually happened that morning. The Bible says those things actually happened in reality. Not as conceptions, not as notions, but in reality. Well, So those are the events that happened. But, but Paul says here that these things in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 happened in accordance with the scriptures. He says that twice. What he means is the Old Testament told us to expect this. The Bible told us these things were going to happen. So was it really prophesied? Well, I have uh, an initial question before we get to looking at the prophecies about the death of Christ and the prophecies about the resurrection of Christ. But the, the first question I want to ask is, why does it matter that these events happened in accordance with the Scriptures? Who really cares that it was in accordance with the scriptures? That it was that it had been prophesied beforehand. Why does it matter? Well, two quick answers. First of all, this is a prophesied miracle. This is a prophesied miracle. The resurrection is a shocking miracle in itself. The fact of a dead body being brought to life, not just resuscitated, but resurrected. Never to taste death again. That's a a shocking miracle in and of itself. But the fact that the Old Testament said beforehand that it would happen is doubly shocking. It's mind-boggling that this is the the most amazing miracle ever. And it was miraculously spoken of hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. In the case of this passage, we're going to look at in Isaiah 53, over 700 years in advance spoken of. It's doubly miraculous. So, it's a prophesied miracle. And secondly, it's an unexpected miracle. This is why it's so important. This is why it's so important in understanding the Bible. It was an unexpected miracle. The Messiah dying on behalf of his people was something that had not entered into the minds of most people. We who understand, we who see what happened, can see, oh, there, were, there, there was evidence in the Old Testament But it tended to be overlooked. They tended to expect a a glorious earthly kingdom where, uh, where they would enjoy political and social and economic and religious prosperity, like under the days of David or Solomon, only much bigger. That's what the Messiah would do. He would come and bring that sort of thing. So the idea of a suffering Messiah never entered into the mind of most people. But Paul is telling us that had been God's plan all along. That was what was being testified to in Scripture all along. And so before we move on, you, again, you can trust your Bible. You can trust your Bible. The events of the resurrection, the, the events of the crucifixion, the events of the life of Christ, the Old Testament talked about it, said it was going to happen. So much so that the apostles, writing about it, said, Don't you remember how it was written beforehand that these things were going to happen? So that's why it's so important. Let's look at what he says there first. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So if you go back to Isaiah 53, I'm not going to read all of it there, but I want to read just a few verses that if, if I were to ask you, and if you weren't super familiar with your Bible, but you'd heard about Jesus, if I were to read these to you and say, where are these verses found? You would you would guarantee me they're in the New Testament. They're written more than 700 years before that. Isaiah 53. Starting in verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It sounds like Jesus. It sounds like it's someone reflecting upon it. Sounds like it's John, for example, who was there watching these things happen and happen, and write, writing about it later on and reflecting back on it. But it's being written. Over 700 years in advance. And during that time, all the way, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, Isaiah is foretelling about the Messiah to come. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is the servant. This is the Messiah, the one who is to come, bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. And when, when you and I might read that, we, we live in a, a more of a psychological age where we might think of, you know, the the, the griefs and the baggage, you know, that, that, that we carry. We have grief and we have we have a baggage. And we have we have wounds in our hearts and we have things that have been done to us and and all these emotional hurts and whatnot. Right? And We might think that that uh, that he heals us and gives us psychological peace, but that's not really what's being discussed right here. Verse five clarifies what kind of. Hurt he's talking about. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. The primary thrust of what's going on here is about the spiritual healing that we need. When Andy realized uh oh, God is real, Jesus is his son, and I'm a sinner. It's that gap. It's that debt that is being addressed here. It's it's those griefs. Now God works in our lives and God does various things in our relationships and in our own hearts to, to heal hurts and, and to strengthen us and to comfort us, of course. But that's not the thrust of what's going on here. He's talking about our iniquities, talking about our transgressions. In verse 6, he says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Placing that iniquity on him, it was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief. Verse, verse ten. It was God's stated purpose for Jesus. Why did he suffer? Bearing our griefs, and so we could we could continue and read on in Isaiah fifty three, and 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 we see the same language that he pours out himself, he gives himself to suffer in our place, so that we might receive the healing. As he says in verse 11 of Isaiah 53, By his knowledge the righteous one, my servant, shall make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. His life, his sacrifice, by that, and knowledge of him, we get to be declared righteous before God. That's the message of Isaiah chapter 53. And so, so when we see in a, in, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when, when Paul says that he died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, there's rich testimony from the Old Testament that prepares us to expect the Messiah to die for us in our place. But Paul continues. He says that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So not only did he die, not only did he pay a penalty, but he was to be raised again on the third day. And so we won't do an extensive study or anything like that this morning, uh, but we could look back at the Old Testament. uh, Like this morning, uh, we heard about uh, Psalm 16 and verse 10, referred to in the New Testament about uh, the fact that the Lord will not let Messiah see corruption. Yes, he will die. Yes, he will pay the penalty, but he will not see corruption, meaning he, he will be raised to life. He will be restored to life. Or we could look at Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 8, that the Lord would swallow up death in victory. Not just, not just bypassing death, but swallowing it up in victory. Going through it and defeating it by being raised or We could look at Hosea 13 and verse 14 where God makes the promise concerning his people where I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, the place of the dead. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O death, where is your sting? Death will be defeated. It will be eaten up by one who will die and be raised again. The fact that Jesus was to be raised from the dead can be amply demonstrated from the Old Testament. What's curious to me when I read through this one, though, is when he says he will be raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So in Paul's mind, there's something about that third day that was special. That's a little bit more difficult. If you remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, he was swallowed up by the fish. And how many days was he in the belly of the fish? Three days and three nights, right? Or we could look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2. Where we read, come let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, the Lord has torn us, that he might heal us. Does that sound familiar? Speaking corporately about the nation of Israel, he says, he has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. The Old Testament talked about these things prophesied in advance in Hosea, writing about the same time as Isaiah, about 700 years before these events take place, talking about this Messiah who will die a substitutionary death. He will pay the penalty. He will have the sins of his people placed on him, be executed for that, but then see life after that, that he would be raised after that. And so that's what we celebrate today. But Rather than doing a a, a detailed argument for these things from Scripture, I want to ask a question. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Why is this a matter of first importance in Paul's mind? I mean, it's Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's a big deal on the church calendar and and all of those things. but, But really, when you get right down to it spiritually, why does it matter? I mean, is it worth arguing over? Of all the things in the world that are not worth arguing over, is this one one that we should argue over? Paul says it's of first importance. Well, here's the big deal. The big deal is that God, the one to whom we owe all of our lives, our very existence, the one who created us, we, we owe him everything. And by, by the way, since he created us, we owe him perfect obedience. That's his right expectation. That God is perfectly holy, spotless, without stain or sin. He's, he's completely holy and spotless. And we, the ones who have been created by Him, to who owe Him everything, and including our lives and our obedience and our worship because He made us, instead, what do we do? We, we sin. We have sin. Every time we do anything less than love God with our entire being, that is called sin. Anything less than that is called sin. And so because of that, we owe a terrible penalty. We actually deserve to die for our sin. That's why this is so important. That's why the stakes are so high when we talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so when Jesus came on the scene. the one who came to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, the one who came to be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, when he came on the scene and lived perfectly, obediently, righteously, always obeying the law, righteous in God's sight, and then went to the cross, he did so in our place. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we... Are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned in his, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so, though we deserve to die for sin, though our our sin means that we have offended God and, and, and thus we deserve to die for our own sin, yet Jesus, the righteous one, offered himself in our place. And if you will trust Christ as your Savior, if you will look to Him as your very own Redeemer, you will have full forgiveness of sins. You will have His full record of righteousness credited to you. Just as Andy testified about earlier, He will save you, He will, he will give you peace with God that the Scripture promises. Well, so how do I know that Jesus' penalty was sufficient? To save you. His payment. How do I know it was enough for you? It was sufficient for you as well. How do I know that maybe your sin wasn't too much for Jesus to bear? I mean, after all, I don't know your secrets. I don't know your sins. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, but my sins, they really add up. They really add up. And maybe, maybe Jesus wasn't able to pay for that. Maybe, maybe when our sin was placed on Jesus, He didn't really pay at all. How could we know that? We know that Jesus' payment was acceptable to, to God because after three days, He raised Him from the dead. Jesus' death took place because He was standing in the place bearing the penalty for my sin so my sin is placed on him he he therefore is counted guilty in my stead and the wrath of God is poured out on him for my sin how do I know the payment was sufficient? well had the payment not been sufficient had there been too much sin too much guilt that I've accumulated? placed on Jesus, and it was too much for him to pay, and there was something left, the remainder would still be left on him. And God would never have raised him from the dead. He would still be paying the penalty for sin. And so the fact that on that Sunday morning when Mary and the other women showed up at the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away, and the tomb was empty, that was a a testimony to us. That the payment that Jesus had made, God had accepted. It was paid in full, in its entirety, and we remember Jesus' words on the cross. He's hanging there. It's it's uh, what does he what does he cry out? It is finished. It's paid, paid in full. Well, those are just Jesus' words, right? I mean, we trust Jesus, but if you really want to look at it, that's him testifying. It's paid in full. But on the third day, when the women showed up and the tomb was empty, when the, when the angelic messengers said, He's not here because He's been raised. Just as He said, that was God's confirmation that it is finished. So is the resurrection a big deal? The resurrection is the biggest deal. It's the guarantee that we have life. Not just Jesus' word, as if that were not enough. But the testimony of God himself having raised Jesus from the dead. God saying, I have accepted his payment. My wrath has been poured out in full on him for your sin, Brennan. And I have raised him. I have raised him because the payment has been made. For all who believe in Jesus as their Savior, they will find sins paid for. They will find that by knowing Jesus, the righteous servant of God, they will be accounted righteous in Him. And there is peace. This is such an important truth for Christians to keep in mind. Often we go through life with with our sin hanging over us. Do, Do you have an uneasy sense that there is still some score to settle between you and god i mean yeah you've believed in jesus and yeah you've you know you've been baptized and you've and, and and you're a christian but it still seems like there's something there do you have a do you have a feeling deep down that maybe jesus payment for your sin was really not all the payment that god expected god was really expecting something else something in addition to the payment that jesus made and maybe you need to find some way to supplement you need to know that the entirety of your sin, Christian, past, present, and future, was placed on Jesus so that he was counted as guilty of all of that in God's sight. And the full wrath of God for your sin was poured out upon Jesus, exhausting the entirety of the wrath of God for your sin. So Jesus declares on the cross, It is finished. The payment's been made, and we hear the Father's agreement when on the third day God raised Jesus from the grave. The payment was made in full, and the payment was accepted as complete, as sufficient, as adequate. Sin was paid for, death was defeated, forgiveness and righteousness are now his to give freely to everyone who believes in him. Christian, your sin is paid in full. This is something that we can can know and we remind ourselves of every time we shout to each other, He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are reminding one another that sin is paid in full. And there is peace in that. And so this morning, I hope you have a clearer picture of what actually happened on that that first Resurrection Sunday, when God raised our Lord from the dead. And that's a non-negotiable Christian belief. These things happened. We believe they happened. And if they did not happen, then our entire faith is in vain. Everything hinges upon that. It's a non-negotiable. There are a lot of things that you don't really need to have a strong opinion on or take a stand on or, or argue for this is not one of those things stand for this i hope also that you have a greater confidence that this has been god's plan all along that he 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 told his people for centuries in advance what he was going to do we're preaching through the book of genesis right now he, he the, the, the promise started all the way back in genesis chapter 3 as soon as sin enters the picture the solution enters the picture christ himself so I hope we have a clearer picture of that. And finally, I hope you have a f- clearer picture of why it is so vitally important, why this is such essential good news for the Christian. It's not just a philosophical notion. It's not just out there. It's not just some myth that we kind of hold on to that helps organize our thoughts or, or some other wishy-washy, uh, philosophical, or religious-sounding jargon. These events happened. And they are vital, vital for our salvation, for your faith and mine, for for your future and mine, for your spiritual life and mine. God raised Jesus from the dead. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. So don't be embarrassed of the resurrection. Don't, Don't feel like you just have to come to church where we all agree that it happened and we can kind of celebrate it here, but out in the world, you know, in sophisticated company. You know, you you can't really uh, talk about that resurrection stuff because they might snicker at you. They're going to have to deal with it. And by the way, if they would actually look at it, if the unbeliever would actually look at the events of the resurrection, they would see this happened. This happened. Because God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Christian religion, Christianity, is not just an ethic, it's not just a culture, it's not just a club or a philosophy. It is historic because these events are historical. It is based on a Jesus who walked this earth, who really went to the temple, who really obeyed you perfectly in his life, who really was nailed to that cross, who really died. And was raised, really, on the third day. And these things are not just historical uh, events. They are historical events. They are historical facts. But they have meaning. They have meaning for, for us. That you were in the process, Father, of redeeming a people in the work of your Son, That He was bearing our burdens, bearing our griefs, bearing our transgressions in His body on the tree, paying the penalty in full, all the way to the death, even death on a cross. These events are for our salvation, and they are confirmed for us. They are are made made, made obvious to us that, that you accepted the deal, that you were in agreement with this, that That this was your plan all along when on the third day that stone was rolled away. The body of Christ was raised, Jesus was, was raised to newness of life, resurrected, never to taste death again. Father, we are grateful for this redemption that we have in Christ, foretold in the Old Testament, accomplished in the work of your Son, and applied to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would apply this redemption to uh, more even this morning. Even those who are listening, they would look to Christ as Andy did once upon a time, as I did once upon a time, as, as any Christian here looked to you and found you to be a redeeming God, faithful, establishing peace between us and you. We are grateful, and we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's going to be a family up front to uh, pray with you, if you would like. And uh, I appreciate getting to spend Easter Sunday with you, both uh, earlier in the morning and this time here. I want to leave us with these words from Philemon. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.